The All In book is in stores now. And if this podcast has meant anything to you over the past two and a half years, I would ask that you give this book a chance. I hope that it will help you not only remember the things we've learned together on this podcast, but it is also my hope that as you read about my personal exploration of what it means to be all in, that it will cause you to consider your own all in answer. There is even a spot to write it down at the end of the book. So join us in exploring and answering the question, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? On the church's website, we read the following. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints functions in large measure because of the unpaid volunteer ministry of its members. In fact, this lay ministry is one of the church's most defining characteristics. In thousands of local congregations or wards around the world, members voluntarily participate in callings or assignments that provide meaningful opportunities to serve one another. It is common for church members to spend five to ten hours a week serving in their callings. Some callings, such as bishop, women's relief society president, or stake president, may require 15 to 30 hours per week. Kurt Frankum was called as a bishop at the ripe old age of 28 years old, and maybe that's why he has devoted himself to trying to help others best fulfill their callings. He runs a nonprofit organization called Leading Saints, which has a fourfold mission. One, connect Latter-day Saint leaders from around the world to share ideas. Two, enhance leadership capability. Three, present leadership, scholarship, and research. And four, celebrate divine guidance that exists in the church through restored priesthood keys, living prophets and apostles, and the inspiration that is available to each leader in the church as part of their stewardship. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so excited to have Kurt Frankum with me today. Kurt, welcome. Morgan, thank you. This is this is awesome. I'm, I've been listening to your podcast, and now I'm inside the podcast. Well, I've been listening to your podcast since I started trying to figure out how to host a podcast. Right, yeah. I listened to you to see how it was done. <laughs> well, thanks. I hope, I hope you learned something. I did. I did. I've learned a lot, and I actually... Actually, I was thinking as I was prepping for this podcast about different episodes of yours that have made an impact on me. Oh, cool. So thank you for yeah. everything that you do. And I've told you before, my dad is a big Kurt Frankel Oh, fan. yeah? Yes. You drop my name sometimes. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> how much cooler am I now? Um, Kurt, nice. I want to start with when would you say that you first developed a passion for leadership? You know, this is interesting because growing up, I, this was my dream was I was the kid that always drew. And so I was determined. And, and, and when I say determined, I was the kid who like made, made promises with God that I would never make a mistake again. If he gave me this one wish and that was, I wanted to be a Disney animator. Uh, well (laughs) that didn't, you know, spoiler alert, that did not happen. And so I was just this artistic kid that didn't do well in school. And, I just went to school because I went to college because you're supposed to go to college. BYU rejected me three times. So I went to the University of Utah, even though I have BYU season tickets. Uh, there's there's sort Very of this, conflicted, yeah, Kurt. There's this closet group there that uh, <laughs> that are BYU fans. But anyways, and so I went to the University of Utah and just sort of I went to, I, I realized after my mission that I was not up to par with the other 
with the other illustration students. And so I thought, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be a starving artist if I go this route. And luckily, you know, it was through much prayer and inspiration. I felt like, you know, I'll, I'll go the business route. So I uh, went to the business school at the U and graduated in, in marketing. But I mean, I graduated with C's. I mean, it was, I just felt like I was not, I just felt out of place there. Right. And so, but I remember taking these organizational behavior classes. And I was like, this is so fascinating. Like I just couldn't, I just like leaned into that subject, but I was too far in my major to, you know, change subjects, whatnot. But just throughout my life, I've just felt this, this pull to books and things of, you know, organizational behavior type books of, you know, you take this group of people and the research shows if you do A, B, and C, you'll get a more positive result. I'm like, well, that's fantastic. You know, I read books like Influencer and Crucial Conversations and How to Win Friends and Influence People, those those type of books where it's like, like I read this book and it's such practical ideas and I can apply them in my life and, and good things happen, right? And so I, I always had the knack there, but then what really did it was I was called as a leader. You know, and then it's like, okay, this is real life. Yeah, and no, no more time for practice. That's right. It's game time. I'm not just reading a book anymore. And it was after my mission, I, you know, and I was called, I went to a YSA ward and I wasn't there too long before I was called as the elders quorum president. And I thought like, okay, like I, I'm going to do this right. Like everybody else who came before me, they must have just not wanted to do it because this is an easy job. I mean, you just tell the, tell the men what to do, go do your home teaching. And uh, they do it, right? So just be a little more, you know, give a little more effort there. But I was quickly humbled and realized, oh, this is hard. And I, I mean, I remember writing on the board one Sunday, 39%. You know, that's our home teaching numbers. Like, look at it, everybody, right? And just, I thought- Just sit with that for a yeah, second. Soak it in. Right. Like, this is unacceptable. We need to be in the high 90s, right? And uh, And I went to work that month. Like, I didn't know how to delegate. I gave a fantastic guilt trip lesson that- Everybody stared at the carpet the whole time. And I thought, yeah, this is leadership. This is what I'm doing. And I remember at the end of that month, I looked at the report and it was 38%. It had gotten down a percentage. And I'm like, oh, I was like so deflated. You know, I thought, I'm really trying here. Yeah. Well, I met my wife in that ward. And uh, I've, so we got married and, and moved on from that ward. And I just left feeling like, huh, like I really tried hard but I didn't even move the needle. Like there's, there was no impact there. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, going back, I'm sure the bishop appreciated my effort and I'm sure I was a decent elders quorum president. But then we moved into a ward soon after we got married and was called into the bishopric. And then that bishop got released. I served for a couple of years there. That bishop got released and I was called as the high priest group leader back when that was a thing. And I was sort of like, okay, sure, I'll serve. But I've done this thing before and I tried really hard. Like, and I was really discouraged, like, but I couldn't figure out why I could go into a Barnes and Noble bookstore and there'd be bookshelves full of life leadership, business leadership, family, I mean, everything leadership, best practices of leadership, but nobody was really talking about the concepts of leadership in the context of the, of the church and how to lead. I mean, like the best practices of how to, how to motivate people to do home teaching or ministering. Right. And so that's where I fell back on that. Like I've always had this passion of, of books and research and organizational behavior. And I wonder if I put these two worlds together, what we could learn, right? And so that's sort of where the real passion turned up, where it became more of a life journey for me than just a, another fun book to read. Yeah. Well, I love that you recognized a need and didn't just sit on it. Yeah. But we're like, I'm going to do something. Like right. you took the initiative. And I think that is 
a good life lesson for all of us in general is, you know, if you see something, be the change you want to see in the world. Right. So, Kurt, you decided that you were going to start a podcast, which has eventually grown into a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what was your experience? Did you have any podcast experience? <laughs> No, I mean, I so I graduated from the U. I had to, I had a marketing degree, so I was a marketing guy, you could say. So I had some of these concepts of saying, like, well, if I am going to put some information out there, maybe I have some idea of how to do that. And it started mainly as a blog. So I b- bought the domain name Leading LDS, and I just started blogging about. I'd, I'd read a a Daniel Pink book or a Greg McEwen, Liz Wiseman book, and then I would take those principles and say, okay, how does this fit into you know motivating people to go to the service activity or, or teaching a, a lesson or all these things. And then I tried and just sort of, just sort of dialogue about those things and in a, in a blog post. And then that was in 2010. And by 2014, the podcasting was becoming more of a thing. Okay. And I had done a lot of public speaking, so I was pretty comfortable in front of a mic talking to a group of people. And I thought, you know, I could probably do that. And it was literally like, Okay, I heard this thing called, you know, Audacity, which is a free software online. Anybody can download it and edit audio. And I still use it to this day, but, and I'd talk to other people that are doing podcasts, be like, okay, so what what do I do here, right? And how do I plug my mic in? I remember my first episode I ever recorded, I had this, I went and bought this nice, you know, decent mic, nothing too crazy. And then by the end of the interview, I realized that I hadn't turned it on and it was the, my laptop mic that that was recording my voice the whole time. So, well, okay, we, that's how you we learned. You right? learn, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I just started just jumping in and piece by piece figuring it out, you know. So, it's so impressive to me. And, you know, I think that's kind of the cool thing about podcasts in general. I always say... It's kind of like the wild, wild west. Yeah. You know, like we're all just figuring it out as we go along and there's room for everybody. There will be people that love you. There will be people that love me and they may not be the same people, but hopefully somewhere people are getting better information. They're getting help when they need it. And um, so I think it takes, takes a village of podcasters. Yeah. Yeah, and back in 2014, I thought I was sort of late to the podcasting game, but little did I know how how early I was. And uh, and now there's still, I mean, it's not too late still. I mean, there's so many, I get calls from or emails from people all the time saying, I want to start a podcast. And I say, jump in, like, it's great. You know, yeah. there's plenty to talk about and awesome people to interview. The only thing I will say is it is a ton of work. It is, yeah. They don't, <laughs> and then I try and tell them up front, like, this isn't, I don't just fall out of bed and suddenly there's an episode there like this. It takes uh, a lot of work and processes to to do this. I remember early in trying to develop All In, I had a conversation with a friend who was a podcaster that was in my ward. And he said, well, you know, that's the reason. I said, I had no idea it was so much work. And he said, well, that's the reason there are so many podcasts that only have five or six episodes because people think, oh, I've got this great idea, but they don't realize it's like a beast that you have to keep feeding. And yeah. so it is a ton of work. Mad props to you for for doing it. Kurt, you have quoted in the past Sterling W. Seal, who was a 70 and assistant to the 12. Yeah. And he said, there is only one problem in the world, and that problem is leadership. Yes. If, and maybe you'll link to this, but there's a, he, he said that at BYU Devotional. And and that's I, I paraphrase it much, but the the talk there is so fantastic. I think it's called Leadership in a Changing World or something. But you can if you Google Sterling Sill and uh, BYU, you'll find that devotional. And he was actually 
President Nelson's bishop when he got when President Nelson got baptized at the age of sixteen. Bishop Seal was his bishop, and then he ordained President Nelson a priest uh, like a year later. And so, I mean, this and and then later on, you know, became a seventy. And he was back in the sixties, seventies. He was like the leadership guy, and and few know about him. And reading his stuff is just so. I mean, he wrote several books about leadership, and and had several talks, and just this concept of there's only one problem in the world, and it's leadership. Like if we can get leadership right, like every other problem fixes itself. And and that even goes for our salvation. The leader came to this this world and fixed it. He fixed us. He fixed, you know, sin. He fixed it all is the leader. And so it's so fascinating to me, like hearing him talk about leadership, it puts me in such a mind of like, all right, we, we need to really, if we, we should figure this out. And it starts with that leadership. So what are some principles we could bring to the table? What's the research out there? What, you know, the, the power of priesthood keys and, and all this, like that's, that's where we can go is we can always look at the leadership and say, all right, whatever problem we have, it, it can be changed. It can be influenced by you. And it doesn't even have to be the formal leaders. Like we're all leaders to some capacity. And so we can all step forward, show leadership and, and watch the problems in people's lives disintegrate. Right. Well, and I think it's so interesting that you say that, you know, he, gave those talks, then it's like, clearly we haven't gotten the message. Right. Yeah. But um, you, you talking about him makes me want to go back and read those talks. I think that especially applies in a church setting where, you know, we sustain the prophet and yeah. we follow our church leaders, but there's also like a bottom up, you know, that needs to be happening and the church needs everybody. And so we really do need to understand the significance of every church calling. We need to give it all we've got. I'm always so impressed by people who take a calling that some might consider not even like a leadership calling and just do it to the best of their ability. I think about a lady a couple of people from my home ward in North Carolina. There was a lady in my ward who was like the perpetual nursery leader. And one Sunday, and I always thought like, maybe she'd like to do something else, Uh you know, like get her out of there. She's great. She'd be great in a number of different callings. But one Sunday she bore testimony and she said that she was at Walmart and she saw this child And she said that the spirit said to her, that's one of your nursery kids too. Meaning like as the nursery leader in that geographic area, every little baby was her nursery child. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like salt of the earth, you know? And then I think about my, my brother had a Sunday school teacher who went around and like sat down with every kid in her Sunday school class just to get to know them. And that, to me, it's like going above and beyond, but actually caring. So, Kurt, as you have done this podcast, how would you say that you have seen that the problem in the world of the church yeah. is sometimes leadership? Yeah. So, and, and, and I want to be very clear on this is that, you know, it's easy to, to then, when we say leadership, we automatically think of formal formal leaders that, oh, that's the problem. But oftentimes the problem is sometimes we don't turn to that leadership, right. you know, and God has solved all of our problems through leadership. One being the Savior, Jesus Christ, the leader that's come and done it. 
Two is he's restored priesthood keys and he's giving he's given them to leaders. Right. And oftentimes it's not that, oh, those leaders just need to figure that out. And if they knew how to do, use those keys, no, no, no. Like oftentimes we don't turn to them or turn to those keys as that uh, opportunity to connect to Christ through his ordinances, covenants, and uh, and so sometimes it's not just a leadership problem. Sometimes we are turning towards the wrong leadership, right? There is this feeling at times that, oh, we don't, we don't want, I don't want a leadership calling. And it's almost like we, we've been, we've been um, instructed and encouraged that we should not aspire to a certain calling. Neither should we ask to be released or those types of things. And so we think, oh yeah, so I'm not supposed to desire to lead. So I'm going to just sit in my corner and, uh, and no, I don't want it. And if they, if they come to me with that request, I'm going to act like I don't want it. Cause I, I, you're not supposed to want it. But I think we, we really disenfranchise a lot of opportunity in the church for people to say, you know what, I'll go, I'll do it. Because here's the interesting thing. The problem with aspiring is the pride. When you mix pride in with aspiring, that's the problem. Not necessarily aspiring because the first person to ever aspire was Jesus Christ. Here am I, send me. He stepped forward and said, I'll lead. I'll be the leader because I love these individuals so much, right? So sometimes we get in this, state of mind where we're thinking, oh, I'm not supposed to want to lead. But it's just like that nursery leader, right? That stepped forward and saying, I don't need a I don't need a title, but I'm gonna lead. And so to me, that's where the solution can come from. Not waiting around because it's easy to get into a state of mind thinking, oh well, if I was bishop or if I was relief side president, I wouldn't do it that way. Like, no, no, no. Like, but you are a latter day saint, right? Like you have the power to touch hearts and to draw upon the atonement of Jesus Christ, enable that atonement to go out and and rescue individuals, be a savior on Mount Zion. Like anybody can do that. And one of the greatest lessons I learned from my time as a bishop is I sort of had this epiphany of like, oh, you know what? There's very few things that I do as a bishop that other individuals in the ward can't do. But most of the things I do as a bishop, anybody can do. And so what I appreciate so much of that experience as, as a bishop is I left it feeling like no matter where I go, I'm going to have just as much influence as if I was the bishop. I don't need a title the rest of my life, but I'm going to need, I'm going to, I'm going to have that influence. And this is part of our nature. And this is where the aspiring concept really gets messy is that we feel like we don't want to aspire. And so we sort of push away callings, but at or the same time, back. yeah, hang back and therefore we push away influence and that was never god's intention we are god's workmanship i mean god made us like a, a leader made us of course we're going to be of course we're going to have influence and that's sort of a, a buzzword right now being an influencer right but anywhere i go i can have just as much influence as any bishop any stake president any university president because of who i am which is god's workmanship and and that's that's the state of mind that we should desire. Like, it's okay to aspire to influence because Christ had influence. And when we have influence, we become more Christ-like. That's powerful. I've never thought of it that way. And I love what you said about influence. And you mentioned it being a buzzword. I always say, you know, you are an influencer. Whether you want to be or not, yeah. you're influencing the people around you. And I personally hate that word. Like I'm like anti-influencer word, but I do think we have to be conscious of that influence and our ability to either influence for good or for 
ill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because that's exactly what the adversary would want us to do is, is reject the influence we can have on others. Because, oh, I, I want to make sure I'm not looking like I'm positioning myself to be the next bishop. Like, who cares what other people think? Like, go and love and serve people. And there is this sort of this freeing capacity of after being a bishop, sort of having it behind me. I can sort of, I feel liberated. Like, I can do anything. And if people think I'm trying, I'm gunning for the like next campaigning. bishop. Right. I'd be yeah. like, no, I did that already. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm engaged in the work of God. And I want to influence people to come into Christ. Like, because I'm a Latter-day Saint and I'm a leader. Love it. Kurt, speaking of your time as bishop, you were called as bishop when you were 28 years old. Yeah. That's a baby. You were younger than me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What was that like for you, and were you super overwhelmed? Oh, yeah. I mean, and and it doesn't matter if you're 28 or 108, you're going to be overwhelmed, right? And so I— this was in the same ward where I was called as a high priest group leader. I served as a high priest group leader for a couple of years, and then, and then I was called as as the bishop. And it's it was an inner city ward, so very typical to have uh, younger leadership. We had the condominium complex where I lived, and then three apartment complexes. Very transient, high welfare, and yeah, I remember getting that call and just feeling like I was playing dress up every week. Like I'm putting on a suit. I'm the bishop. Like it just felt awkward. I think, and again, no matter what the age, it's going to feel that way. But man, it was such a sanctifying experience to, as I often describe it, is like standing on the sidelines of the atonement and just like seeing the magic and the miracle that Christ can do in the lives of people, like to see him scoop them up and like fix them. It was, you know, I never saw the lame walked or this miraculous healing of sickness, but I saw people just like break down and and realize that they could be whole again through Jesus. And what a remarkable experience. And so, again, we sort of have this cultural dynamic where people are like, oh, I would never want to be bishop or or, or we say things like, oh, I think you're going to be the next bishop. And man, if, if they ever ask you to just say yes, like it is such a remarkable experience. That goes for all leadership. Like when you are asked to serve in a capacity, especially with keys, like it will change you in ways that, that you could never imagine. And I was a young bishop just for the, the nature of that ward and the needs and the availability there. But man, what a blessing it is now to be like ha- being in those shoes and now being able to go on in life. I'm such a better ward member to my current bishop now because I can sort of look at him like, I don't understand everything you're going through, but I get it, man. And I'm I'm going to go out there and 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 help this word move forward because I, I get it. I know you want engaged individuals helping you up because I know you don't got to figure it out because I didn't have it figured out. So it was extremely overwhelming, but what a blessing. Like I, I, I invite everybody to never make those jokes again and be like, well, I don't want to be a bishop. I, I wear, I wear the blue shirt to church, you know, like, cause I don't want to be called like, don't, don't do it. Like just, if it comes like, just say yes. If it doesn't, well, if that's okay, you can still have influence, but it's a beautiful beautiful experience. And uh, sometimes we diminish it again in this name of avoiding aspiring, but it, it was a remarkable opportunity. That's so cool. Kurt, why would you say that lay leadership shapes our church culture? Because mm-hmm. that's something that's very unique. And having now interviewed all of these different people about all these different church callings, <laughs> what is it about lay leadership that sets our church apart? Yeah. You know, it is such an interesting dynamic. And I heard, I think, uh, I don't know if Elder Holland specifically said that, but I, I in a uh, 
in a more casual meeting, he he said that uh, one of the gr- greatest modern day miracles of the church is lay leadership. I mean, the fact that this works, that the kingdom moves forward with lay leadership is remarkable because you can't imagine like, you know, Jeff Bezos from uh, from Amazon retiring. And then they're like, hey, we got a middle manager out in uh, Timbuktu, Kansas. Like, why don't we give him a go at running the company? You know, like every research study and business thought would say, of course, we're not going to do that. Like he doesn't have the experience or, you know, I think he's a mechanic too. Like, why why would we put in that role? But it is such a remarkable characteristic of the modern day church is this lay leadership where we, any, any individual could be placed in these positions. And it's such a sanctifying experience, but it, it's so healing on so many levels, one for the individual serving and then for the, the people that are trying to sustain that individual is we know that they don't have it all figured out. At least hopefully we know that. And it creates a Zion people that I don't think we get any other way. So it absolutely shapes it in so many positive ways. But yeah, I mean, that's sort of the things we, we talk about. There's some negative ways sometimes when you do get that person in there who doesn't know how to have a one-to-one conversation or says something that's probably short-sighted and, and they don't have the full grasp of, of the situation. And so, but I love it all. I love the messiness of it. I love the fact that anybody at any time could be asked to lead and then they get to grow in ways that no other circumstance would allow them to do that. I could not agree more. And I think that it's so cool to think about, you know, I, I always find it interesting. Like you said, you'll have somebody in a calling and then the person that comes in after them could be completely different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, is beneficial for us as members too. Like when a new bishop comes in to learn how to be led by different types of people, I also think is so, so neat. Okay. I've got like some kind of quick hit questions, hopefully. (laughs) What would you say, Kurt, are the most requested topics that people are seeking guidance on within church service? Uh, This is interesting because we, we send out, uh, you know, we have a news, uh, an email list newsletter. And as people, as names sort of fall into that newsletter, we send them a a series of emails. And one of the emails we send is what is the biggest leadership concern that you're facing right now? And above all, the biggest issue or question people have is how do I motivate people? Like I, I told, tell them what to do, or we have these opportunities and, and it doesn't, and they don't, they don't do it. Like, and it's so easy to sort of shift again to like I was at the L- like your home teaching. Yeah, right. Yeah. The guilt trip lesson, right? And just be like, you know, this is God's work and you got to do these things. And this concept of motivating people is so fascinating. But even even that, like the uniqueness of of that issue is that we are a volunteer organization, right? Like nobody necessarily signed up for it, you know, this specific thing in this or nobody's getting paid. And uh, John Maxwell, one of the great leadership Christian thinkers, talked about that yeah, it's it's one thing to lead in a Fortune 500 company when you have the the levers of bonuses and uh, you know paid time off and you know salaries like you can use those to motivate people. But when you have nothing, when everybody's there simply because they want to be there or simply because it's just what they do, motivating that group is on a totally different level. And so that's what fascinates me about these leadership dynamics is that. Yeah, it's one thing to write a book about and do a research study, but what if, what if you? I mean, I can imagine sitting down with a, you know, executive CEO and saying, "Okay, 
here's the thing. Like now you try to lead where you can't pay anybody. And here's the neighborhood that you got to pick people from and you have to run and succeed in that organization. Right. Like that is the, the dynamic that just excites my passion about leadership is if we can figure it out here in Zion and in the, the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, then, then we can be such an example for others in, in, in motivating and doing those things. So motivation is, is a big one. The other ones is, you know, faith crisis, you know, doubt always goes there. We did a whole virtual summit about ministering to individuals who struggle with pornography, and it was extremely popular. Mm. I mean, this these are complicated issues. When an individual comes in, and and I remember I remember day one, set apart as a bishop, twenty eight years old. Uh, my ex- executive secretary hands me my schedules. Like, here's who you're meeting with, and the individual comes in, and he confesses a struggle with pornography. And I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I got nothing. I got nothing. You know, have you considered stopping looking at like, you know, these are such complicated issues that they're, they're tough. And I, and I have all the empathy in the world for leaders striving to help people because, you know, there's some, there's some answers, there's some resources, but uh, it, these are, these are really diff, difficult problems. Well, and I love that you are helping just have a conversation, you know, yeah. giving some people somewhere to turn to like hear from experts and to hear from people who that has been their experience. Yeah. How has it been working with the church leader after that? So I think that that's, that's incredible. Are there a few or a couple interviews that stand out in your mind? And I don't mean like the coolest one that you've done. I mean like... Like Morgan Jones, for example. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we both know that's not true. But I mean like certain ones where you walked away with like, that was a principle that I'm never going to forget. Oh, yeah. I, I was actually just reviewing one. Brent Topp from uh, former former uh, religion professor at BYU, uh, former mission president, stake president, and... I asked him because he was a he was a mission president, and then he became a stake president. Typically, stake presidents become mission presidents, but he his experience was the other way around. and And I asked him about how how he prepared missionaries differently, maybe than the stake presidents who hadn't had that experience as a mission president. And he said the most fascinating thing that is so applicable and helpful for leaders to hear is that it's so easy. As, as bishops, as state presidents, sort of focus on the worthiness dynamic. You know, we want to send these, these young men and young women out into the mission field and make sure they're worthy. And that makes sense, right? But they said, once they get out there, what mission presidents need the most, obviously they need worthy, worthy young men and women, but they also need people that are comfortable talking with strangers or, you know, socializing or uh, articulating the principles of the gospel. And so he said his approach was a little bit different. Of course, they covered all the worthiness things. But his approach was, you know, let's create some opportunities for these young women to actually articulate the gospel. Rather than just muttering some testimony at the end of girls camp or a youth conference, but what can we do to give them to really sit down with the the law of chastity or the word of wisdom and say, how would you explain that to a person, right? And to me, it's like, man, that's so helpful for a leader to hear. And it kind of shifts their paradigm on that. Another interview that is probably my top ten, my top favorite and it was several years ago when I served as bishop in a transient area I had I had by the time I was done at the end of those five years I had seven different counselors because people are moving and coming and going right and my last second counselor left the church while he was in my bishopric and 
it's a it's it's a long story, but a few months after that, I, I was called into the state presidency, and and so I was still in the area, and I reached out to him, and we went to lunch, and we just had these conversations and trying to understand, you know, what he's going through and trying to be that friend. And I think he actually bring he brought it up. He said, you know, you could interview me. I'm like, let's do it, right? So then I sat down with my friend Heath, and we just had a friend-to-friend conversation about his journey. Like, man, it's just like, it, it, it was an interview that I was interviewing somebody, but it was really all about me being a leader. Like, how do I lead somebody who's going through that? And just to hear his story and the heartbreak and what led to him taking those steps. Um, it was such a healing conversation, but one that just brought me so much empathy as we try and relate to individuals who are struggling, who are questioning, you know, what could we better understand that maybe it isn't that they just want to sin. Maybe it isn't that they're not praying enough. Maybe they're praying more than the rest of us are. Maybe they're turning the scriptures more than the rest of us are, but for some reason, they're finding more questions, more doubts, and how to sit with that person and hear them and and feel bonded towards them so you can actually sit with them in, in, in uh, solidarity rather than trying to convince them out of it. Yeah. You know? uh, one of my favorite interviews that you've done is the one with the parents and then their son, I believe, oh, yeah. had left the church. The Packards, I yeah. found that fascinating. And yeah. I think, you know, that's it goes back to we gotta listen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in order to know what we're doing, <laughs> we've got to listen. Kurt, what would you say are the biggest things that you've learned about leadership that you didn't know before hosting this podcast? Oh, that's man. a loaded question. I mean, we could go on for days there, but the biggest thing that comes to mind that I that I that I I harp on this a lot. This is like a phrase I use a lot is never mistake an ability problem for a motivation problem because it's so easy, you know, going back to that question that keeps coming in, like, how do I motivate people? Well, even the premise of that question, you're making an assumption that they are unmotivated. What if they are motivated? For example, in the context of missionary work, like it's so easy to have that fifth Sunday lesson. Uh, you know, I'm serving in the, in the word mission right now and, you know, it always comes up, maybe we should have a fifth Sunday lesson about missionary work. And it's like, okay, let I, nobody needs a guilt trip lesson about missionary work. But, you know, it's so easy to sort of say, well, come on, you love the gospel. Why don't you go talk to your neighbor? Like the old orange juice analogy, right? Like this orange juice is great. Why don't you give it to somebody else? Just go do it. There's so many, many dynamics going on there that it's, that person could be overly motivated and still unable to do it because they have an ability deficit. They don't know how to even start a relationship with somebody or um, start a friendship to to the point where it gets to you sliding a Book of Mormon across the table and saying, this book means a lot to me, right? And so that totally shifts the dynamic of leaders when they can step back and say, okay, instead of defaulting to everything being a motivation problem or a lack of motivation, I'm going to see assume everything's an ability problem. And then that's a much healthier positive conversation to have people of saying, let's talk about ways that you can get to know your neighbors, or let's talk about ways that you can share your testimony or, and goes back to, you know, the late Clayton Christensen, his book, The Power of Everyday Missionaries. Like, I mean, that is applicable skill level stuff that anybody can put into practice that even, you know, he talks about just 
speaking with church vocabulary in your casual everyday settings instead of saying, oh, I, I've uh, served in Timbuktu or I, or I lived in Timbuktu for two years. Instead of saying, I was a missionary for my church in Timbuktu for two years. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, what? what? Right? And that opens a conversation. Or I interviewed an evangelical pastor who wrote a book called The Art of Neighboring. And it's this phenomenal resource that that talks about building community in your area. And he talks about creating a like a tic-tac-toe grid, putting your name in the middle, that's for your house. And then can you name the neighbors of everybody around you? And just that activity of saying, let's see, you know, I don't know my my next door neighbor. I just call him the guy who, who, who drives the Nissan. But now you're going to go learn just his name. And that's a step rather than walking over there awkwardly with a Book of Mormon because you're overly motivated. Like motivation isn't the problem. It's often ability. That is so good. That is, I needed to hear that. <laughs> Kurt, you have talked about how some struggle to recognize the problems in their wards or stakes. It's not that they don't want to help. It's Mm -hmm. that they can't recognize like where the issue actually lies. How do you think leaders can better recognize needs? Yeah, I would say the, one of the greatest, there's a few things, but the first one that starts is this concept of self-awareness. Like as human beings, we have a very difficult time being self-aware. It feels like I mean, it feels like I know how I'm being perceived. Even sitting with you in this interview, I I've kind of have an idea of what my hair's doing, like if anything's stuck in my teeth, right? But You look great. Oh, Kurt. thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, but maybe I've got a big leaf of spinach in my teeth and I don't know it. And maybe you're, you're not as comfortable with, to tell me, hey, Kurt, you got a big leaf of spinach in your teeth, right? So we have to be proactive in being self-aware. And that is, uh, I remember as a bishop turning my counselors and saying, it is extremely important for me for you to disagree with me. And if you disagree with me, I will applaud you. I will point it out and you need to disagree with me. And I remember several occasions, my counselors saying, Bishop, I disagree with you. And I'm like, oh, thank you, right? Because it's helping me be self-aware that I know I've created safety for that counselor to speak up and say, no, no, no I think you're off base here. And oftentimes I was. And that helped me be more self-aware or just being creating a, a place of safety where you can turn to your ward council or you can turn to your elders quorum and just say, all right, wh- what are we doing in here? Let's just go around the room for a minute. What are we doing in here that doesn't work, right? Raise your hand. I, I don't like moving and the way you get us to move, I just ignore the text. Like, oh, really? I was unaware that you that you do that, right? So taking these steps and there's, I mean, various ways to do it, but how can you as an individual, and this is even outside the context of, you know, church leadership, it can be in the context of marriages, family, relationships of being, how can I be more aware, more self-aware with the people I am? Because oftentimes as, as a leader, when this information came back to me, then I could do something with it. But if I was living in a different world where I thought, no, I'm a pretty good bishop and I, I do things I think pretty well around here, but I didn't create the space to be self-aware. The other thing is, is the mindset. I interviewed this incredible Bishop Louis Hamner. Uh, he was a Bishop in, in Saratoga Springs and he had a youth. He, he was a remarkable Bishop with these youth. He had a youth that shared with him that he had no plans of going on a mission. He was an 18 year old kid, 17, 18. Now everybody, every Bishop, every individual's thinking, 
ah, like you just want to be like, no, no, no. Like you should really go on a mission and let me, let me write the list out of why you should go on the mission. It'll be good for your, your experience. You'll grow a lot, all these things, right? Well, Bishop Hamner had a growth mindset and the more we can have an open growth mindset rather than a closed mindset or a limiting mindset, it's going to perpetuate uh, positive leadership. And so instead of defaulting to, oh, this is why, no, 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 this is why you should go on a mission and, and let me tell you why. And he said, well, do you still want to spiritually progress? And the youth said, oh yeah, absolutely. I still want to spiritually progress. And he said, great, why don't we focus on that? So Louis had this growth mindset of saying, maybe we're missing something. Maybe if I get too myopic on getting this boy on a mission, no matter what, we're going to actually push him away and lose him. But instead he stepped back and said, all right, well, how do you want to spiritually progress, right? So Ryan Goffertson, Latter-day Saint in, um, in California, has done phenomenal research about this concept of mindset. He wrote a book called Success Mindset. And he walks individuals through this concept of how you can have a more open mindset. And the, the research shows if you ask any, any individual and you say, are you open-minded? And most, more, more times than not, 90% of the time, they'll say, of course, I'm open-minded. I'm sure, Morgan, you feel open-minded. I feel open-minded. But then you can find certain evidence that maybe that's not the case. And so it's a proactive thing, just like self-awareness. We can't just assume that we're self-aware. We can't just assume we have an open mindset. Maybe we're, we're missing something. And so, and this is a type of thing that people often use this, I call it the, the culture monster. Oh, it's the church culture. And we sort of dismiss it in this umbrella term, but nobody really knows what that means but it comes back to these concepts of it's the fact that maybe we're we think we're self-aware, but we're not. It comes back to the to the topic that we think we're open-minded, but maybe we're not. Maybe we're missing some things, and it takes a proactive effort to to make sure that we're we're fighting through these 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 natural man tendencies of just assuming we got it figured out, we're good. I just had a conversation. It's so funny that you bring up like the mindset thing and thinking that you have an open mind. Uh -huh. I just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a dear friend of mine, and she was saying that when she got married, she thought she had an open mind. And she said, I've come to realize that I just thought my way was the best way. You know, I had an open mind. I was willing to listen to people, but when it really push comes to shove, right. I thought my way was yeah. the best way. And I think, you know, everything that you just said, it makes me think that I need to re-examine myself and my mindset when it comes to, you know, being open and rethinking the way that maybe I've always thought about things. And I think within within the church, um, there's all there's always space for all of us to do that. And I appreciate all the work that you've done to help people think of things in a different way or get new ideas. Yeah. I think it's it's just powerful and you've done great work. My last question for you, Kurt, and you know this is coming, <laughs> is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, when I show up on Sunday every week, it's an interesting dynamic because I walk in and I sit in the pew and I, you know, sacrament starts and so it comes time for the actual ordinance of the sacrament. And every week without fail, that sweet deacon walks over to me and offers it. And the fact that, that Jesus, like Christ is just always there offering it to me. He never rolls his eyes when I have to take it one more time. 
He never sets it aside just in case if anybody, just in case anybody needs the sacraments over here, if you need it. No, he has a deacon like walk it over to me and say, please, like, here it is. Here's my, here's my sacrifice, here's salvation. Like, just take it. I know this week was another rough week, but I just want you to take it again. And the, the idea of grace that no matter how many times I mess up, no matter how broken I feel, like he is just willing to take me all in. Like that's like, it, I I can't even make the decision not to be all in because he just keeps enveloping me with his love. And it's like, you're all in, like, this is where I want you. You're all in my heart. And I, I love you so deeply that you, you could sin the rest of your life and I'll still be here on Sunday. Like you could never change again and I'd still be here. And that overwhelming feeling of acceptance is when I begin to change, when I begin to realize, you know, I, I can give it another goal because this Savior keeps accepting me. So maybe I can begin to accept myself. And that's why I'm all in. Thank you so much, Kurt. We are so grateful to Kurt Frankham for joining us on today's episode. You can learn more about Leading Saints by visiting leadingsaints.org. We are grateful to Derek Campbell for his help. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be with you again next week.